Hey, everyone. We are eight weeks away from our 200th episode, and we are really excited. We'll be doing a celebratory episode like we did for our 100th episode, and we'd love to hear from all of you. Please send us an audio recording of a comment or a question to our email address, the two cities podcasts at gmail.com, and we'll incorporate it into the episode. And just like we did for our 100th episode, we will also reveal the new theme music that Logan Williams has produced for the next 100 episodes and do a whole host of things to celebrate the milestone. All right. And here's the episode. Welcome to the Two Cities Podcast, a podcast about theology, culture, and discipleship. And this is episode 192. In this episode, we're talking about the origins of New Testament Christology with Dr. Brian Dyer. Dr. Brian Dyer is Senior Acquisitions Editor at Baker Academic and the co-author of the book that we're excited to discuss in this episode with Stanley Porter, Origins of New Testament Christology, An Introduction to the Traditions and Titles Applied to Jesus, published by Baker Academic. Team members on the episode from the two cities include Dr. Madison Pierce and me, Dr. John Anthony Dunn. So Madison, this was a lot of fun chatting with Brian about this book that he's just co-authored on Christology in the New Testament. We have a, a lot of fun chatting with him about the titles and traditions of uh, of Jesus uh, as associated um, with him in the New Testament. Talk a little bit about sort of the, the behind the scenes making of this book, co-authoring it with Stan Porter and 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 where where it kind of is situated in kind of broader work on Christology. What were some of the takeaways that you had from our conversation with Brian? Yeah, well, first I want to name that Brian and I are good friends. And I think there are a couple of places in the episode where we don't name that, but it, it's probably quite funny to to observe. Um, so I, I call Brian my Hebrews friend. Um, <laughs> and since I work on Hebrews, uh, that that's for me, that's a quite a high honor. Um so we we met when I was uh, in grad school, but um, so yeah, I really love Brian's work, and I think this is a, a good example. It's so interesting to see the breadth of the traditions that they've brought in here, and um, I really appreciated hearing him think a little bit about how this relates to Christology broadly and the kind of uh, trajectories that we've seen in Christology in the last maybe fifty years or whatever, and then. I, guess back to Kuhlman a bit more further. Mm -hmm. And we do discuss uh, Hebrews quite a bit, quite naturally, given that both <laughs> both of y'all are Hebrew scholars. I'm the lone Paul scholar uh, on this episode, Fortune. but uh, uh, no, it, no, it was great. It was a lot of fun and it's, it's quite a wide ranging conversation. We do cover quite a bit of ground. And so we hope uh, you enjoy. And if you haven't already, Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or leave us a review. You can also find us on Twitter. I guess we should call it X now. Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at our website at thetwocities.com. And with that, here's our conversation with Dr. Brian Dyer. Well, Dr. Dyer, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So we're really excited to talk about your new book, uh, co-authored with Stan Porter, Origins of New Testament Christology. As a way to get started, um, what sort of uh, sets this book apart from other books on New Testament Christology? What what um, what do you guys do uh, that's uh, distinctive? Yeah, it, in some ways it, it's similar to some uh, books in New Testament Christology. In some ways we were trying to kind of 
bring back an old way of thinking about New Testament Christology. And, um, you know, for me, when I was in seminary, um, kind of a formative book for me was um, uh, Coleman's, I don't have it here with me, Coleman's, um, I think it's just Christology of the New Testament, maybe the Oscar Coleman book. And it takes a titles approach and kind of works through different titles. And I know that there's, um, you know, some problems with that book and some criticism of kind of approaching it through a titles approach. But for that, for some reason, that book, when I was in seminary, it kind of had certain things kind of click in my head about kind of the way the New Testament portrayed Jesus and the way that it um, would kind of pull back into Second Temple Judaism and kind of different concepts from the Old Testament and Jewish literature, and then how they would um, kind of apply those to Jesus. And there was something about kind of that connection that kind of opened things up in my head. When I kind of pitched this idea to Stan, we kind of pitched it as a kind of a Coleman-esque kind of update, um, but taking a, the criticisms that have been leveled at that book and that whole approach and trying to um, avoid some of those pitfalls. And so we don't talk about titles as directly as we do traditions and was trying to think more in terms of the various traditions that the New Testament writers pulled from and interpreted when they were um, thinking through the question of, of the person of Jesus and in their portrayals of Jesus. And traditions allowed us to broaden a little bit of what we were doing because there are some um, traditions that, that aren't technically titles, like um, Jesus as a Passover lamb. Um, he's not directly kind of given that title, but it's a tradition that the New Testament tapped into. And so um, I guess we're, we're kind of revisiting an older approach, but trying to, to do it with some of those criticisms in mind. And um, yeah, ho hopefully did a, 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 an okay job um, with that. Yeah. So each of the chapters are, you know, kind of titled after one of these titles um, as you say some some are not not quite titles but sort of broadened out a, a little bit but um you you mentioned that there's these criticisms and you want to sort of avoid those those pitfalls what are those criticisms what are some of the um critiques that people have had of kulman or even a titles approach to christology uh, in spe uh, specifically and how 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 do you address that and sort of uh, say in action no there is something worthwhile here right yeah, no, that's a good question. And um, yeah, one of the things that I try to, or that we tried to do in the opening chapter is try to situate what we're doing within the context of uh, New Testament kind of Christologies. And one of the things was to stress that this is kind of a starting place or starting point. It's a, it's a contribution to the overall Christology of the New Testament, but we're not trying to say this is... Um, a fulsome treatment of Christology in the New Testament. And, and that was kind of one of the criticisms that um, the New Testament, when it's um, examining the person of Christ and portraying the person of Christ, um, when you do a titles approach, you get at some important things, but you're not getting at all of it. Um, and so kind of realizing that this is um, a really helpful kind of entry point into the um, discussion of New Testament Christology. We, we wrote it with students in mind, so maybe students who aren't as familiar with um, the New Testament or any of these conversations, and found that kind of this titles or traditions approach was a really helpful kind of introduction and entry point. But 
identifying that there's a lot more work that that can and should be done uh, after it. And so we, we talk about things like, you know, David Capes has done a lot of really good work about Yahweh text and, um, you know, all that stuff makes important contributions. Um, but we kind of were focused in on kind of just looking at these traditions as kind of a um, kind of a first step. And then, um, you know, others can kind of build on that. One of the critiques is that, um, you know, these titles that Jesus has given in the New Testament, um, some previous studies would um, maybe load those with a lot of theological weight, maybe inherent in the title itself, as if uh, titles or words, you know, carry certain kind of inherent meaning with them and maybe uh, loading too much theological value onto one title. Um, and so we tried to kind of avoid that and, and put it within context. Another um, critique that we tried to kind of uh, articulate and um, kind of make sure that we weren't doing was um, trying to suggest that these traditions were always kind of uh, headed in the direction of Christology or Jesus. And what I mean by that is we worked really hard to kind of stress we need to appreciate these title or these traditions uh, on their own terms, kind of, you know, within Judaism or within the Greco-Roman context, and then talk about how the New Testament writers adopted them or uh, applied them, um, but without trying to argue that, um, you know, the uh, Adamic imagery or Adamic tradition about Adam was always going to lead us towards Paul's interaction with Jesus and Adam, but rather trying to understand what was this tradition uh, before, before early Christianity. Um, and so kind of a couple things like that. We try to kind of lay that out in the introduction um, and then, yeah, tried to kind of carefully work through the material. Um, yeah. That's great, Brian. I, I think that aiming this at students makes a lot of sense because you are surveying so much material and having to do this broader sweep. Um, I think that it's undoubtedly a, a great resource for uh, scholar, you know, other scholars and, and those working in Christology because it um, collates so much and, and brings it together. But I can see where that would be a particularly good market for the book. I think that it's so common that New Testament scholars feel drawn to a particular title or image for Jesus. And so the first part of my question is, you know, which of these did you feel a particular resonance with as you started the project? And, um, you know, which chapter were you like amped to write or really sad that, you know, uh, Dr. Porter took? Um, and then uh, what, which of these images did you really feel like you learned a lot about and that you feel a kind of deeper connection to? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Yeah, the way that um, we approached it is we have, I think, 11 traditions and we kind of just split it up between Stan and I. Um, I think I took six, he took five, and then he wrote the, the conclusion. And the first one I picked was High Priest. Obviously, uh, it's the first one I wrote because so I figured that would be uh, more in, in my wheelhouse. And so I was excited to write that chapter. Um, and... Brian works on Hebrews. Yeah, I was going to say, we, we should spell out why it's so obvious. I, I, I'm the only I'm the only non-Hebrews uh, scholar here. Right. Uh, it feels so good to be in the majority at last. <laughs> well, Sorry, go ahead, Brian. I didn't mean well, to interrupt I, you. As, as, no, fine. As I was getting into it, um, I kind of thought that the high priest one, even though I think it's our last chapter would help me kind of get into it, right? And maybe um, uh, working out that would help me with kind of my research and writing for the other ones. And so 
was excited about that one. Um, but the second part of the question was, which one um, did I kind of grow in my appreciation of, right? Something something like yeah. that. Um, yeah, I, um, I I referenced the the second Adam or the new Adam kind of title and tradition. That was one that uh, I really enjoyed working at or working on. Um, I liked that chapter because it um, it kind of got at a particular nuance in the New Testament where um, in the Gospels, I was kind of looking more at how do the, the Gospel writers bring in this tradition about Adam and kind of in conversation with Jesus, but do it in more kind of subtle, um, using more kind of illusions and that that type of thing. So kind of a more, um, uh, yeah, kind of a more subtle type of comparison or uh, application of that tradition. And then Paul just very kind of straightforwardly, explicitly compares Jesus and Adam and kind of drawing from that tradition. Um, and so it was kind of interesting and kind of fun to see two different ways of of incorporating a tradition into their um, their understanding of Jesus, you know, explicitly and kind of more uh, subtly. Um, and I found that particularly the gospel part of it really, really interesting. Um, so that, yeah, that was one. And, and I think I also did one on Savior, which um, I found really, really interesting. Um, I thought there would be a lot more than there was on um, kind of understanding of the title Savior um, in, in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament. And that was one where also there's all kinds of um, Greco- Roman writings and stuff, the emperor and different saviors. And so that was one that brought in a lot of elements and I learned a lot. Um, so probably those. Um, yeah. And then the high priest just, you know, I didn't get less excited about that, but the other ones were jumping up there. Thanks, Brian. I really appreciate that. I'm, I, I'm curious what you think of the high priest one. If uh... <laughs> I love it. I um, think that... I think that, I mean, you know this, I think high priestly stuff is more prevalent than is commonly recognized. And so I think you gesture towards that some, um, but I'd, I'd like to see more. So I think it's really good. And my follow-up question would be, um, I noticed uh, that you were talking about the savior chapter and it struck me as I was flipping through and seeing that some of the traditions that you were interacting with that some of those are the kind of classic examples that I use with students when I talk about how there's a lot of language that we use for Jesus that has become a broader part of our tradition and communication that actually isn't as represented in the literature. Um, and so Savior would be a good example. Lamb um, is one that's like really pretty Johannine. Um, and yet it's like something that's just used constantly. Um, so I wonder if if you have some thoughts about that or if if other things like that struck you as you were kind of working on this. Yeah, well, there, there's kind of two interesting things that pop into my head because kind of what you're getting at is that, um, you know, kind of different approaches at, at doing Christology, whether you're New Testament Christology, whether you're doing a titles approach or you're doing like a book by book uh, approach. You know, one of the things where you do book by book is you end up repeating a lot of stuff because you've explored it in Matthew and, you know, and you're doing it again here. But there are certain ones that are more prevalent in other books like High Priest, uh, which I understand it's it's more um, it's it's more than just Hebrews, but it is Hebrews a lot. Oh, yeah. Uh, in the, the Passover lamb in, in uh, John's gospel and Revelation. 
Um, so you do get kind of these unique contributions from individual books or authors, um, which is really, really interesting. Um, and then um, I don't even know if I'm answering your question anymore, but another kind of phenomenon, it's almost kind of the opposite where you get um, different authors using the same titles differently, right? Yeah. Or, um, you know, one author is, is you know, pulling from this tradition in one way uh, and another one is pulling from that same tradition, but kind of interpreting it a little bit differently. And so accounting for that nuance, um, I felt like the, the way that we did it with the traditions approach allowed us to incorporate that nuance um, rather than just focusing on a specific author at a time. But how do these kind of within the canon of the New Testament, how, you know, how do we kind of understand these different um, uh, uses of these traditions? And then another one that I didn't or that we really didn't get to explore very much, but we kind of um, mentioned a little bit is the interaction of titles in the New Testament, where, um, you know, it's rare that any one title is just found in isolation, but often you'll see son of man or, you know, son of God and Lord, you know, all in the same. So what is it different from when they're used by themselves or when they're combined? It kind of just, yeah, there are kind of a lot of different avenues that I would have loved to explore that a bit more, but it all kind of gets pretty um, involved and really interesting. Um, and I, I don't even know what your question was anymore, but uh, that's what popped into my head. It, it was just, hey, Brian, just talk. talk, talk and you did a great bit. job. Yeah. yeah. On the on the uh, example of um, Christ as the Lamb, you you do have uh, Paul. You have that one brief mm -hmm. instance in First Corinthians five where you you get the Passover Lamb there right. as well, which is which is in some ways maybe the most explicit in terms of like Passover Lamb, right? Because it's uh, Pascha there. Whereas el elsewhere, you've got like Lamb language, specific Lamb language, which we we kind of bring in all of the kind of Passover connotations from like John alluding to different things, right. That are relevant. The timing and John. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The timing or, you know, different other features, but like in Paul, that's where you actually get maybe the closest thing to a title perhaps other than like the lamb of God. Like when John the Baptist says the lamb of yeah. God and John, you know, it anyways, just, uh, just kind of interesting that you do, you do kind of get these little uh, blips where, you know, Paul's, using some like Christological ideas that he doesn't perhaps develop elsewhere uh, in that case, perhaps. And maybe that's similar to some of the high priestly stuff uh, since, you know, since you're uh, talking about how it is beyond Hebrews, you know, we do of course get the Romans eight example that people point to as like a, a priestly example for Paul. But I'm, I'm curious because, you know, Madison tweeted something recently uh, and maybe we should stop saying tweet. Uh, maybe we need to say zit or sheet, or I don't know what you, what you call, she posted, right? That's what you do on Twitter. You X'd something. You X'd, yeah. She X'd something recently. Uh, where she said, you know, if, 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 uh, you know, Hebrews, you know, the Christology is uh high priest, uh, you know, um, what, what is, what is Christ for Paul? Something like that. Right. Um, so, so, so Brian, since he just wrote this book on Christology with Stan Porter, uh, what's your answer to Madison's post? On yeah. Hand? Madison, help me understand what the, what the question is. Yeah. I'm trying to explore. So if we think about high priest as this sort of role that, illustrates the author's understanding of how Jesus works on our behalf, then I wonder if there is an analog in Paul, not just like a prominent title or picture or something like that, but like an image that represents the work. And so um, 
obviously in Hebrews, I think high priest is the one that does that, um, even if Jesus is various other things. Um, so yeah, but I don't know. I, I got a lot of strange responses. <laughs> I'm, I'm not on X anymore. Um, so I, I, I didn't get to see that. Um, yeah. that sounds like that sounds like you stopped taking a prescription drug or something. Right. I, I, I weaned <laughs> well, off of X. Um, X is, is not a prescription drug. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. yeah I, I i don't know i don't you know i, I i'm not in in paul as much as um as as hebrews um or even the gospels i and so i'm sure there are many good pauline scholars who could answer this better and maybe they did in their responses i guess my thought would be maybe, maybe there isn't one for paul like there is in hebrews and maybe that's just because we just have one writing from the author of hebrews that you know that we know of um and so he's focusing in on on, on that particular element. Um, I guess the, the kind of the work that I did on um, Jesus as a second Adam in First Corinthians, um, you know, it, it's a bit different from what you're describing, but it is kind of a tradition or a title that allows Paul to really kind of um, articulate the, the salvific work of, of Christ in relation to, you know, the plan of salvation or almost I mean, salvation history or whatever, but kind of placing Jesus within this much larger kind of um, thing and how he's, you know, undoing uh, the work of the first Adam. Um, and so I, I don't know, that kind of works in something of a paradigm or a function, but maybe I'm not quite understanding the um, the question. I think that's right. It, um, if you're, I think, especially for those who would hold, you know, participation and union to be the center of, of Paul's Christology, I think that's a really attractive answer. I noticed that um, those may be more drawn to like an apocalyptic view, um, you know, might be more inclined toward like Lord or or something like that. And, um, and I found myself sort of pulled between the two poles. Um, I'm, I was raised by the apocalyptic school. Um, but find myself uh, drifting away from it. They um, raised you. <laughs> like, like I yeah. was raised by a pack of wolves. Like apocalyptic <laughs> school raised me. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Whatever, well, Brian. <laughs> what do you think, John? <laughs> what, what were you raised in, John? Uh, I guess I was raised by um, fundamentalist Baptists and um, two. Yeah, I guess uh, Christ was, um, is, I think it was probably the Lordship Salvation uh, dichotomy, right, uh, is probably how how it would be framed for for uh, the context in which I was growing up. Yeah, but, but I also went to a Calvary chapel, and so the idea of like, mm. you know, Christ as someone who's going to return was huge um, as well. Of course, that would have come through in the fundamentalist Baptist context, but I, I think uh especially with with that calvary background there was just a little bit more of that that sort of uh as part of the fabric of things but speaking yeah. of speaking of you know christ is the uh you know sort of the returning christ i i'm very interested too in in sort of the different kind of rhetorical nuances that we see in different texts where so like for example in first thessalonians so we talk about what you know who is christ for paul or whatever you know what's that sort of central christological image there does seem to be rhetorical nuance right so in first thessalonians basically everything that is said about christ is he's coming back right 
And that that is kind of the feature of First Thessalonians Christology. Whereas in a text like Galatians, it's like what's emphasized over and over again is that he was crucified, you know? And so there's, and it's not that like, this is a different person, right? But there's different rhetorical foci, right? Depending on, depending on presumably different things that are going on that are being addressed, the occasions of these letters. So I'm kind of interested in like, you know, with a titles approach, there might be some kind of tendency to want to um, treat these all kind of um, with some kind of uh, synchronicity or some kind of synchronous approach where it's like, let's just look at all these, all the texts that kind of talk about these different things. And you did mention like one of the interesting nuances that comes forward is like when these titles are kind of combined in some unique ways. But I am, I am also kind of wondering, like, did you notice anything that seemed distinctive of like, in terms of the rhetorical purpose of like, oh, we're going to see a lot of like this title in these types of situations. Like, did, you know, did those things jump out at you in, in the research? Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I have a couple of thoughts. Um, one is even before you were asking that question, when, when we were talking about kind of what, what raised us or kind of what vision of Jesus, um, was more dominant when, you know, kind of in our upbringing. Um, kind of gets that kind of something that I kind of learned through this book that maybe we all kind of know is that no one tradition or title um, captures all of what Jesus is. Um, and, you know, we kind of talk which one was emphasized. I mean, they're all true to some degree, or they all get at something, right? But, but kind of, the whole thing with New Testament Christology is, is kind of bringing these together and getting a more fulsome kind of understanding of, of, of who Jesus is. And um, kind of what, what you're bringing up is an interesting question of if that is the case, you know, in, in certain um, situations or context, you know, is there a pattern or is there something where certain traditions or titles are emphasized in certain contexts, right? Um, and I don't know if I have a good answer for that other than to say um, I tried to in a couple of places, especially you know at the end of each chapter, we did kind of a contribution to Christology um, section, kind of how does this fit into kind of a larger uh, endeavor. And without intending to, sometimes got at how this tradition was being used within a kind of a rhetorical setting or context. So in in the high priest chapter, I emphasize, and this won't be any surprise to Madison, um, kind of knowing the work I've done in Hebrews, that the high priest functions in this kind of um, uh, motivating kind of image for a community that was uh, in crisis and actively suffering. Um, and then the, the boldness and the confidence that we have because of our high priest and kind of trying to look at kind of, or at least tilt my hat to tip my hat to um kind of the 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 rhetorical yeah nuance of, of what the author is doing there um but yeah i don't know that we really traced other than you might have to infer it as you're looking through the chapters of of this this picture of jesus or this tradition is dominant in these sections um other than i could think like you know there are certain apocalyptic son of man sayings that appear in different um, specific context in the Gospels. Um, but yeah, larger patterns, yeah, I'm not sure, but that's really interesting. Along those lines, I think, um, I wonder if there was a place where 
in analyzing some of this data, I, not, not, nothing from reading the book comes to mind, where you felt like you came down in a surprising place. Um, you know, the Son of Man work, did you push against any trends or kind of status quo or anything like that? I think you and I vibe sometimes in how we interpret. So it could be that just didn't strike me as all that surprising, but yeah. Right. Well, I'm just now reading Richard Bauckham's book on the Son of Man. And so I, I might have incorporated some of that, um, especially how he treats uh, Enoch. Um, mm. But yeah, there there are some that, that we take more kind of traditional stances on. Uh, we try to account for um, kind of advances. You know, one of the tricky things with a book like this is any of these chapters, there's a whole body of literature on you know, son mm-hmm. of man or son of God and log off. Um, there's a whole software based on that one. And, it, and, <laughs> and it's like, how do you, how do you present for students, um, you know, an overview and, and present the material while also bringing in kind of scholarship? And it's a bit tricky. And I think some places we might get too much in the weeds on, you know, like when you talk about Lord, you can't not talk about Uset and you know Larry Hurtado, right? And kind of the advances they brought, and students should know that. And so trying to bring that in, um, but you don't want to bog stuff down. But as far as stuff that that we um, kind of did, and you know, I think what was interesting there, there's two things that that are interesting. One is we were originally going to have a chapter on Jesus the Rabbi, and I did some work and decided it really doesn't even fit with what we're doing. It's a title, but it's not really a tradition in the sense of the other ones. Um, and so we scrapped that, which was kind of surprising to me because it was always in my head. The other one was Prophet, where I, I, I initially wrote the chapter on Prophet. Um, and I came away with it um, thinking, you know, it was an important chapter and Prophet is an important tradition and category. but um, even within the gospels, it's like that that's how Jesus was understood um, by others in the gospels as is some kind of prophet, uh, either a mosaic prophet or a prophet um, like Elijah or something. But it always kind of led to, but but that's a good starting point, but he's so much more than that, right? You have that interaction with uh, the disciples where he says, who do you say I am? And, and their response is, all in that orbit of a prophet. Some say, you know, prophet like Jeremiah, some say John the Baptist. Um, and then Jesus says, well, who do you say I am? And it's like, we've moved out of that category. And then Peter confesses you are the Messiah. And I think in Matthew also says son of God. And so there was kind of an interesting, like prophet is important, but we have to move past that. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't want to downplay the importance of prophet for understanding Jesus, but it, yeah, that was kind of new to me and trying to kind of advance that it was like, that gets you so far, but, um, but kind of the, the big confession, you know, Peter's big confession is you're more than a prophet, right? You're the Messiah. Um, so yeah, so at least for me, that was kind of a, I kind of grew in my kind of understanding of all of that and appreciation of that. Um, yeah. don't think that's controversial or anything, but well, in uh, historical Jesus studies, right? I mean, um, identifying Jesus as an apocalyptic prophet is uh, pretty, pretty common. I mean, we had to sort of get there, right? Because there, there was, of course, the whole Jesus seminar that 
wasn't down with that and wanted to kind of treat him like a uh, just a pithy, wise, you know, sort of cynical. Uh, what were they down with? Beads? <laughs> like beads? Bees? Bees? <laughs> yeah, they, they like beads. Beads. Um, I was going to ask, I think, um, or I, I was going to comment uh, just along those lines that I, um, yeah, I think that in some ways the ex exemplarity or the the distinctiveness of Jesus is not that he occupies any of these titles. It really, any of them could are, are applied to other figures very clearly. I mean, that that's how they come to be understood of Jesus in some ways, Um it's the the piling up. And I, I think we certainly see that like in Hebrews 1. Um, there are a lot of different things going on in Hebrews 1. But one of the things is a sort of piling up of these various images, you know, the Son of God, the Lord God um, himself, King, etc. And so um, I think that strikes me as being um, something important that that y'all have done and this is to kind of pull together some of those threads for those those kinds of observations yeah yeah thanks um yeah you know we we open with um we open with kind of a series of encounters in the gospels where jesus is interacting with people and this kind of repeated refrain happens of of who is this like who who is this or who is he claiming to be and you kind of get this impression that like it, it's it's difficult to kind of pin it down and so a lot of this book was like well well what what traditions were they using to try to articulate kind of the fullness of who jesus is and and yeah you it it, it takes kind of bringing these all together in order to kind of as kind of as you said pile on to get kind of a full appreciation and you still get a sense that you don't have a full you know understanding it's still rather limited but they all kind of get at different aspects and when taken together um yeah you get you get a more full kind of picture of who jesus is um so yeah so kind of, i agree kind of in and it kind of goes back to how some of these titles overlap mm -hmm. and use together compound each other um so yeah so it's really interesting were there any points in the process of writing this i mean especially since this is a co-authored book yeah. um, and 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 i'm curious if you know you and 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 Stan Porter just decided, okay, you write these chapters, I write these chapters. Was there any point in that process where it was like, oh, you know what? We kind of have a disagreement that we need to work through or we need to talk through, like we have slightly different nuances here. Do so you take a kind of via media on on any of uh, these uh, texts or 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 topics because you sort of couldn't quite uh, you know make make the the points that one of you sort of wanted to make because of some disagreement? Yeah. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. Um, Stan, Stan's great to work with. This is my third project with him. Um, and I mean, aside from being, you know, brilliant, he's, he's quite prolific. And I think he gets a, just because of the sheer volume of the work he does, maybe um, he gets um, a, a reputation of, I don't know, publishing a lot and maybe not being as involved. The projects I've worked with him, He's been pretty heavily involved in the writing process. You know, as I kind of talked about, we we divided it pretty evenly, the the work, and then we each wrote drafts and then spoke on each other's or, you know, kind of revisited it and tried to make a communal voice. Um, and so it was a it was a good experience in terms of both of us carrying our weight 
and he strengthened my chapters, I think. Um, and hopefully I, I, I strengthened his. Um, but yeah, there were there were a few places like not one particular chapter necessarily, but Stan's very interested in um, kind of historical Jesus questions. And he's very interested in Jesus's own self-awareness and whether we can get some insight into Jesus's, who did Jesus claim think he was? Um, and I, I initially tried to put some parameters on the project. Um, and, you know, we're looking at the New Testament as a, as a canon. Um, and we're not looking at kind of a developmental kind of, you know, how Christianity developed uh, or Christology developed. Um, but rather, when we look at the New Testament as a canon, um, kind of what are the traditions and what are the, the, the portraits that emerge of Jesus? Um, but Stan, I think, kept was very drawn to that question of Jesus's self-awareness. Um, and, you know, with pushback on that, not that that's not an interesting question, um, it just seemed like outside the purview of, of the project. Um, and so uh, I think it stayed in in a couple of places where maybe it was more relevant, but I, I yeah, navigated that with him of removing some of those uh, repeated um, questions. Um, yeah, and the other one that I've mentioned before is um, I think I'm on board with Stan on the Messiah chapter, but it took a little bit of back and forth because I think we have slightly different views on um, Messiah and kind of messianic expectation. And so um, I think I reined him in a little bit um, and um, kind of got it to a place where we're both happy or both comfortable with the material that was presented. But that was maybe the only chapter where I felt like I was coming at it maybe from a little differently than him. And it's such an important chapter that it took a little bit of, of navigating. Um, and I think I've told Madison this before. The tricky thing about co-authoring is you kind of want to get that right because when somebody picks up the book, they don't know who wrote what part. Um, and so, um, you know, we Stan argues something in this chapter, as, you know, as far as anyone knows, that's, that's my view as well. Um, and so wanting to kind of navigate that so we're both happy with kind of the finished project. Um, and I'm sure he has some examples of things I did that he kind of navigated as well. That's what comes to mind. Um, it can be tricky. Madison, I don't, I don't, I don't recommend it, co-authoring. Um, and, um, you know, you just got to really like that person, I think. <laughs> Which, and I really like Stan, so. Brian is begrudgingly writing a book with me. This is the subtext that you're picking <laughs> up on right now. <laughs> I'm 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 probably not he's not as enjoyable as Stan. Um <laughs> but I mean to y'all's credit, I I I know you I know your work quite well, Brian. And um so as I was reading the book, um, you know, as each chapter would start and kind of think like, is this a Brian chapter or a Stan chapter? I think I probably could guess pretty well. Um, but not necessarily about the style um, or, or even like the views put forward. It's more just kind of the balance of material and everything. So it's a really cohesive book and y'all did a really great job. Yeah, some of it may be just my work as an editor. And so, um, and Stan and I have worked on several things that, that I've edited his stuff. And so we have a pretty good relationship where um, I, I can kind of rework his stuff and kind of get a similar voice across all of it. So some of that may, may have helped That's good. as well. 
my my pesky question, I'm sorry. I'm sure that some of these other questions have been pesky already, but I wonder, um, as I kind of looked at the at the table of contents, there were some things that I was expecting to maybe see. And yeah. I wonder if there are other things that uh, hit the drawing room floor. You're saying like Jesus's rabbi didn't make it. Were there other things that you all considered that either they didn't feel like there was enough material or didn't feel important enough to include it? That's a great question. And and yes, um, I imagine uh, we could make the case for um, several different things. And, and kind of what we did in a couple of them was incorporate them into other chapters. And so um, in the in the prophet chapter, I think half of it is is devoted to a prophet like Moses, or at least mm -hmm. kind of mosaic traditions um, around Jesus. And so I kind of folded that into the prophet chapter. Um, in the Logos chapter of Jesus, the word, um, I incorporated a lot of kind of Sophia traditions um, about uh, Jesus. And so um, didn't give it its own chapter, but kind of talked about it in the context of, of um, Logos Christology. Um, and there was one more, oh, Son of David, we kind of folded into the chapter on Messiah, but we could have very easily um, had Son of David be its own chapter. Um, there may be more, but yeah, it was kind of like, you know, we, you know, keeping our audience in mind and, and trying to organize the material. Um, Rabbi is the only one that we just outright got rid of when we kind of decided it's much more about the traditions than just what's, what titles is Jesus given. Um, and I think I had it cause, cause Coleman has it. So I, I wanted to be, I wanted to be, I wanted him to like me if he was alive. Um, and so we were going to put that in, but it just didn't make sense for our project. Good. So. Jesus as judge was the one that I was kind of surprised about. Um, the others that make sense to have kind of folded those in, but I don't know if there's enough material, but it does seem to be a relatively prominent New Testament image with Jesus. a lot of kind of gathered traditions around day of the Lord and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. It is, it, yeah. I'm trying to remember there's, there, is there a reference to, I mean, the day of the Lord, but then the day of Christ, or is that just kind of a theological concept? That makes sense. Uh, yeah, I think like the interpretation of Joel 2 and Acts and stuff like that. But then um, there are some places where Jesus is explicitly called judge. Um, or even the language yeah. of the judgment seat of Christ. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So you see some places where language is appropriated of Jesus that's applied to Adonai elsewhere. Um, but then some places where he's explicitly judging and stuff. So. Right. Yeah. Maybe in James, right? The judge is at the yeah, door. That's right. Uh yeah, judge of all, I think is language. Um no, that's that's uh the father in Hebrews, isn't it? Yeah, you've come to God, the judge of all. But anyways, yeah. No, yeah, that's excellent. Yeah, the sequel. The sequel. Yeah. And this isn't to say that this isn't comprehensive. I was just curious if there were some things because there there were a couple that popped in into my head, especially as we've been chatting. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a good point. That's kind of, we hadn't talked about judge, um, but that certainly makes a, a good amount of sense. Um, um, well, now I'm going to have to take it out of print. <laughs> but yeah, no, the ones I the ones I mentioned are kind of the only ones I can think of where they could have had their own chapter, but we kind of fit them in uh, where we could. So That makes sense. Brian, this has been so interesting and helpful. Um, Thinking about this as, as kind of your big work in Christology, um, I wonder as you've explored these questions and kind of thought through these various things, 
I wonder if you have thought of some places where there's room for for more work or some questions that this raised for you that you hope get explored either by you or or others in the future. Yeah, thanks. I, I you know there 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 is we've raised some issues um, of, of what kind of this brought up. I, I think the interaction of traditions and titles is fascinating, and we weren't able to explore it as much. I think how the titles fit within the larger narrative of particularly the Gospels and Acts um, could be a really, really interesting uh, endeavor. Um, I know there's been a lot of work on narrative Christology, but kind of incorporating this and, and thinking about that. Um, you know, one thing that, that I find personally interesting that maybe um, doesn't quite fit with what this book is, but um, one thing that that came up, particularly in the later New Testament, but but also in Paul and, and elsewhere, is where we get some indications of what we would call Christological heresies, you know, in the New Testament. So I'm thinking of places like in in First John, where there's references to uh, testing uh, the spirits and talking about um, Jesus coming in the flesh. And if they don't teach that, then you know it, it's it's an evil spirit. Or I forget the language, or um, Gnosticism in in some of you know or, or kind of early Gnosticism and and what kind of what we would call Christological controversies are already kind of present in the New Testament that they were already um, dealing with and might that explain maybe kind of John what you were talking about the rhetorical purpose of how these, some of these titles come into play. Um, I mean, you know, Madison, you and I I think are on the same page when we're talking about humanity of Jesus in Hebrews, uh, you know, I've, I, something that spurred that on for us, I think, is just kind of, we see this emphasis on the humanity of Jesus in Hebrews. And I tend to think that's because um, that is either getting lost or de-emphasized, or there's a need for um, this um, extended discussion of the importance of Jesus's humanity. Well, what, what was happening in, in the church at that time um, where he felt like he needed to do that, um, didn't need to spend as much time talking about the divinity of Christ as if that's uh, assumed or already, you know, they're on the same page, but something about the humanity. Um, so maybe getting at that question that John was raising about um, what was happening in the church, what can we see within the text themselves, and then how might that explain how these titles were very practically used in these conversations and context. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, that's excellent. And, and it, there could be work that's been done there um, that I'm just not aware of. Um, but I think uh, that could be really interesting. The other one I would say a year ago is the importance of the Greco-Roman background um, on these traditions. But mm. um, I think Mike Bird has, has brought pretty good attention um, to that recently. Of course, Hurtado did it well. But um, sometimes we we lose the importance of um, yeah, kind of Greek thought and, you know, things like savior or um, son of God and those types of things that that's important as well. So that's great. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. Well, Dr. Dyer, thanks so much for, for joining us. Uh, thank you for chatting with us about uh, this new book, Origins of New Testament Christology, uh, co-authored with Stan Porter. Hope everybody checks it out and learns more about the combination of traditions and titles uh, applied to Jesus. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it.